The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. We look for these experiences, you know, through our eyes, through our sounds, but not in that direct way, but in, like, the sense of self wants the particular sound. You know, it's like we want to feed on the sound. But this is a different. Mindful awareness is a settling. But trying to get something from our sounds, from our sights, from our touches, from our tastes and smells, that's an agitating experience. So mindfulness, mindful awareness is just the opposite. It's a settling. It's a letting things be. And so we have the happiness of connecting, the happiness of sustaining, and then there's the happiness of joyful interest. When the mind connects and sustains, when basically this is the definition of mindfulness, then the world starts to open up. We go beyond our concepts, our conceptual view of things, into the aliveness of the present moment. The experience is defined by a movement, whether we're aware of the visual experience, which begins to feel quite alive, or the auditory experience, which begins to feel alive, or the sensations, which begin to feel alive. So in a sense, like if we're aware of the body, we move from this idea that, oh yeah, this is my body, it's shaped like this, it's heavy and hard like this, to the actual experience of body which is just that very alive, flowing movement, free movement of energy. The body is a problem when we're in the level of concept. Then it becomes a problem. Then it becomes a difficult thing to manage. But the actual present moment experience of the problem, uh, body, is not a problem. And this, is a, this arises with this third kind of happiness is sometimes called rapture. So the happiness of connecting, the happiness of sustaining attention, and then there's the happiness of the, the rapture, really, of seeing experience, whether it's mind experience or body experience, seeing mental and physical experience as movement, the free movement, the alive or enlivened movement of life itself. You know, the mind, uh, mental activity, that's free movement, physical experience, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, tasting, as movement. And that is experienced in the mind as joy. The mind is uh, enlivened, is joyful in being aware that everything is alive with movement. So we're no longer overwhelmed by our concepts of things, and the mind is seen more directly, being more directly in experience. And it's feeling enlivened, not because the experience is special, but because the awareness is deeper. It's seeing things more as they actually are, and less confused or obscured by its concepts of things, its idea about things. And you might, you might even be able to remember these experiences. We've all had rapture. This is not so extraordinary of an experience where you're just in, you know, whatever it might be, talking with a friend, for example, and then 
you you know the conversation goes a particular direction, which is engaging for the mind. The mind really starts to show up. You know how we can have a conversation on automatic pilot, even a seemingly deep, important conversation on automatic pilot. But sometimes we enter maybe new territory, or for whatever reason, it becomes very alive, and we'll feel rapture. It's like the the whole mind and body is very alive with energy. Like the, uh, the hair, you know, stands up in the back of the neck. And there's a sense of thrill or joy. We can have that looking at, the, at a sunset, something beautiful. Same thing, where the mind starts to connect and sustain, and it leaves behind its thoughts about what's happening, and it's just in the immediacy of the present moment, and you'll experience the joy. Now, we can easily lose that joy when we start to think about, whoa, I really like this. Right? Then we're back in the idea there's a me who really likes this and is interested in making this last longer or getting back to this as soon as I can. And then we're no longer connecting and sustaining in this balanced, full way. So we have the happiness of connecting, we have the happiness of sustaining, we have the happiness of joyful interest. You could really say it's the fullness of awareness. And seeing, and that fullness of awareness allows the mind to see that everything is alive with movement. And then that joy begins to quench sort of a neurotic restlessness of the mind. The mind is always trying to make things right, always worried that things are going to go bad. So this, you can think of this uh, as part of our animal nature, you know, it's just a vigilant animal, wondering if there are any predators nearby or anything good to eat nearby, that restless, because that part of the mind, that animal part of the mind, you know, it's looking for something out there. But because now the mind is opening to the aliveness of the present moment, feeling really alive, it starts to feel content. And this contentedness begins to put the fire of restlessness out. Restlessness begins to go away. We start to feel tranquil. That beautiful ease of the heart. Ah, I'm happy. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. I'm happy. There's happiness here. I'm happy just being in the moment, in the great aliveness of body and mind and then contentedness. So this is a deeper kind of happiness. We have the happiness of connecting, the happiness of sustaining, the happiness of full, joyful presence, the aliveness of the present moment, and just feeling whatever the mind is aware of, just feeling the life, the movement of life that that is. Sound is just, we all know this. I mean, intellectually, we understand. Sound is just a movement of energy. Sight is just a movement of energy. Thought is just a movement of energy. Everything is just that free movement. If you ask the physicist, he or she is going to say, everything is just the free movement of, you know, energy. It just depends on how you want to describe it. Well, if that's the way it is, we should be able to experience it. And that's what we do when the mind connects and sustains, becomes balanced, has mindful presence. We open to joy. The joy leads to contentedness, the happiness of ease.
the happiness of contentedness. The happiness of willing to just settle. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. And that, that happiness evolves to something even deeper than that. Where the mind begins to experience a stillness. So it's not only like a letting go, but then the mind begins to realize the mind itself when it's not doing anything at all. So the activity, the neurotic activity of mind is so gone that the mind knows the mind free of any neurotic activity. So we call this the silence of the mind or the peace of the mind or the stillness of the mind, the emptiness of mind, the emptiness of greed, anger, and delusion. So that's the emptiness we're talking about. There's no neurotic activity. And this is a deeper kind of happiness. This happiness you wouldn't even call pleasant. It's, it's like we're beyond that world of pleasant and unpleasant. Because even that fourth kind of happiness, there's still a sense of it's just really nice. But the trouble with that kind of happiness, there still exists in the mind that it could go away and then it won't feel so nice. We're still in that dualistic world of things that feel nice and things that aren't so nice. But as the mind becomes still, then there isn't even that thought of good and bad. It's so quiet, so peaceful. It's the peace of not needing anything, not, not needing things to be pleasant even. So that we call the peace of equanimity, or the happiness of equanimity, or the happiness of peace, or the happiness of stillness. So it's really nice to know these, this map of happiness so that we can observe it arising in different ways in our sense. We can, and it really feeds the whole practice of samadhi. You know, if we're interested in beautiful, liberating states of mind, we have to understand it in terms of cause and effect. Like, this is not rocket science, actually. It's pretty basic stuff. It's just the evolution of happiness as it unfolds in our own mind. And it all begins by connecting with the present moment. And it goes from there, it arises from there, or deepens from there, because of the sustaining of that balanced, clear, relaxed attention. When there's that balanced, clear, and relaxed attention with things as they are, joy arises. The aliveness is revealed. The natural, inherent aliveness of the mind and body just becomes more apparent, and that is a cause for joy. Joy leads to contentedness or the happiness of ease. Really experiencing the ease uh, extinguishes all desire from the mind, so the mind rests in silence and stillness and peace beyond the world of good and bad, entering the world of peace or equanimity. Now, when the mind experiences that kind of peace or equanimity, then it's a really good mind to have insight. Because then, as this peaceful mind, this still mind, begins to return to more ordinary states of consciousness, that stillness, that peace, gives the mind a lot of neutrality. So that when I see some emotional pattern getting triggered, I'm not taking sides. 
because there's so much neutrality still in the mind, so much equanimity. So I see the particular patterns that are getting triggered with that neutrality. And I, it's so much easier to understand them as they are, to see them in an impersonal way. Same with what we see around us. We don't take things so personally. We, because there's that inner stability, that inner peace, all of a sudden we start having insight about the, our external and internal experiences. We start seeing that it's all very impersonal, meaning things are just coming and going due to causes and conditions. Because the inner peace keeps us from taking our experience personally. And not only that, we see how everything is in flux. Like we don't lose that perception that things are moving, changing, unfolding lawfully. We start to see that naturally. And so there's a lot of these moments, kind of aha moments, where we understand, well, of course this person is upset. Because we, it's like we have this sensitivity to see the natural unfolding that leads to this person feeling this way right now. Same with our own emotions. Of course I'm upset. Of course I'm needy. Of course there's this feeling because of these causes and conditions. So we're not confused by how life is moving. Because it's as if we're reading life. You know, we've learned the language. It's really the language of karma, cause and effect. And we're just seeing everything in that way. Nothing surprises us. Somebody runs a red light, it doesn't surprise us because the mind understands. Sometimes people aren't paying attention and they do, you know, things like that. Or sometimes people don't care about rules and they do things like that. And we just see it immediately in our own actions and in the actions of others. And this is really deepens insight. And the deepening of insight makes it easier to connect and sustain mindful attention, easier for joy to arise and contentedness to arise, easier to experience the peace. So insight supports this work of quieting the mind. And quieting the mind supports insight. And this is really the engine of awakening. The Buddha taught a path of tranquility and insight. They work together. Quieting the mind supports insight. Insight supports quieting the mind. And this is appropriate for people who are monks and nuns and live a relatively quiet life, and also for people like you and me who have busy lives. There is nobody who doesn't have an incentive to develop this. There's a particular passage from the Buddhist teachings which is so nice. Some of you know this, that Mara is this um, teaching in the Buddhist tradition um, represents sort of the neurotic, um, deluded, qualities, tendencies of our mind, and they personify it. It's like the devil in the Buddhist tradition, you know, Mara. And the Buddha would catch Mara, even after his deep insight, he would catch Mara around, and he says, Mara, I see you, you know. Greediness, I see you. Defensiveness, I see you. Jealousy, I see you. So we're not surprised. We just see it. We see the tendencies that get triggered because of causes and conditions. We don't take it personally. But we're not dismissive. We're respectful of that tendency. I see you. I'm not fooled by you. So anyway, some people are practicing. Some young monks are practicing, and Mara shows up. And he says to them, so this is their mind talking to themselves, do not abandon what is visible here and now and run off to distant things. 
So basically their mind saying, you know, why am I sitting practicing mindfulness, aspiring for something off into the distance, like full and complete awakening, or near nirvana, or nibbana? Our mind is saying, why don't you dig in to some of the real pleasures that are available? You know, go eat something, go have sex, go become powerful and make things happen the way you want them to happen. So this is what Mara is telling them. And these wise young monks say, we have abandoned what is distant and run toward, towards what is visible here and now. The Buddha has said, worldly pleasures are distant, of uncertain result, produce much suffering and despair, and are a continual disappointment. But this dharma, this dhamma, is visible here and now, immediate in result, inviting one to come and see, guiding one onward and capable of being experienced by, by the wise. And this is the turning that we all have to, you know, undertake in our life. And it's really a process of grieving, because right now, to some degree, we are all, we've put all of our eggs in the basket of worldly experience. We're seeking happiness through worldly experience. We want to become somebody who's happy. We want experiences that will make us happy. And what the Buddha is suggesting is, even though they may seem available, they're ever distant. What do you say? Uncertain result. Distant of uncertain result, producing much suffering and despair, a continual disappointment. Well, if we ask ourselves, we'll see that this is in fact true. We have been pursuing sense happiness, or pursuing happiness through sense experience for a long time. But have we, have any of us become fully satisfied? Are we more satisfied now than we were earlier? You know, our desire for sense experience, it doesn't stop by getting what we want. That should be a clue. No, I'm not saying that we should never have another sense experience or a pleasant sense experience, but we shouldn't be deluded about them. When I eat a chocolate bar, I try to, you know, be there for the experience. I try to appreciate the sweet, the smooth, fatty flavor in my mouth. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not confused by the experience, like expecting it to make a big difference in my life. And it's the same thing, you know, we worked really hard to find the building, to buy the building, to renovate this building, to get it ready. But a lot of us, you know, it would have been easy to sort of think, oh God, when we get this building, it's going to be so nice. But we really worked at, well, no, it will be just done and then there will be something else we'll be working on. And that's just how it is. You know, so many of us couldn't wait till we got big. You know, when we were kids. Now we're big, you know. And then, you know, then we wanted our own car, and a lot of us have our car, and then we wanted our own place, and a lot of us have our own place, you know, and then we wanted a partner, and a lot of us have partners. So we have to see the, that sort of the limitations of getting sense experiences, whatever they may be, no matter how wholesome they are. And to begin to see that this turning inward connecting, sustaining, the joy of being fully present, 
the contentedness, the stillness, and the insight that arises from that stillness, from that peaceful place, how the mind really understands and learns how to be in the world, to do what needs to be done, but not expecting the world to be more than what it is, not expecting sense experiences to lead to satisfaction. And that's all the Buddha is saying. He's not saying the world is bad. He's just saying that sense experience ultimately don't satisfy the heart. No matter what sense experience you have, it won't satisfy your heart. You have to look elsewhere for that release of the heart, not in the world. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have a nice house or good friends or decent food or money in the bank in case of emergencies or for retirement. It just means that that may be what we do as human animals to survive, right? That's how human animals survive. Squirrels collect nuts. Humans put money in the bank and build homes and, you know, stock their cupboards with food. But that's not the cause for happiness. Happiness arises from not trying to make the world what it isn't. You're not trying to get something from the world that it can't deliver. That's how we create suffering. So we stop living in that way. And that's really the fruit of these expanded states of consciousness. Otherwise, what people tend to do with concentration is they're just interested. It's like an inner amusement park. So they, they get interested in concentration, especially people who have a natural talent, and they just want a nice experience. But it's not that different than looking for a good novel or a good movie or an interesting, you know, relationship with another person, exciting relationship with another person. The real purpose of developing these deeper, more expanded, more beautiful states of mind is it releases the heart into deeper stillness, deeper peace, deeper equanimity. And this peace and equanimity support deepening of insight. The mind sees things as they are when it's feeling peaceful. When the mind is not peaceful, it tends to see things according to its habits, which you know means we're seeing things as we've always seen them. We're not having insight. We're not learning anything. So there's 15 minutes left. It'd be nice to hear from people, your own experiences that you've had, or any questions you have about the subject, my talk. Whatever seems relevant, what comes to mind? What have you learned about concentration practice? What has been frustrating? to pursue this enough to get our own experience. But 
Um, I, I don't know if you were here the, the other day, Mark, uh, last week when I read uh, a quote from Nargajuna, um, who's a Buddhist saint, where he said, you know, that when you have sores, it can feel good to scratch them. Remember that? But it feels even better not to have a sore. And the same thing with sense pleasures. When the mind is greedy for sense pleasures, it does feel good to get them. You know, because when I really want ice cream, that pain of really wanting it goes away when I get it. So there is a relief, but it's even more pleasurable not to have the sense desire. And that's really, that's the definition of a deep state, the deeper states of concentration by definition in the Buddhist tradition is the state where the mind is free from desire. It's like, the, that's called the fourth jhana. There's no desire in the mind. And uh, so the mind is beyond good and bad because with desiring, we turn the world into things, you know, good things and bad things. So there's this diversification. We're an animal, we're still an animal. That's what an animal does. It sees the world in terms of good and bad. And that world view, that just that stance in the world is inherently stressful. So there's two ways to go beyond that stress. One is to concentrate the mind and experience the stillness. And the other is to have deep insight, which means we're uprooting the tendency to be confused by pleasantness and unpleasantness. So even when we're back in the world of sense experiences, we're not confused by the pleasantness or unpleasantness. We know that, yeah, that's pleasant, but it's just pleasant. It's not pleasant for anybody. And, you know, if it's pleasant, sure, we receive it. But if it's unpleasant, then we'll deal with that. We're not, we're not trying to be happy based on whether our present moment experience is pleasant or unpleasant. The happiness we're interested in is the happiness of non-attachment. So it's a different orientation for happiness. And now, to be honest, we're, we're all human beings who are trying to be happy by having pleasant experiences, which is inherently stressful. So it's, this is the deal with the devil we've made. And the thing is, that's what we miss when we have a nice sense experience. We're not noticing how stressful it is to be dependent on nice sense experiences. All we're focused on is how pleasant it is to have this particular pleasant sense experience. So we're not seeing the whole picture, which is why we never get out of the loop. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, say your name. I'm Kathy, and I have a... Uh,
And initially, we have to devote a lot of our mental and physical energy to being really efficient at taking care of those fundamental things like taking care of the family, taking care of the body, even taking care of our basic mental health, you know, staying away from things that are really stressful. And it, it's sort of, we can't really understand a deeper kind of happiness when we're in a world where we're uh, overwhelmed by unhappiness. This is why people in war zones, people in poverty, it's really hard for them to um, use their lives for this deeper, maybe we call it a deeper pursuit, a deeper understanding of happiness. They're just trapped in being kind of trapped in their animal natures because of their particular conditions they just are, have to be completely focused on taking care of the body, taking care of their immediate loved ones. And there's really no space in their life situation for any kind of reflective attitude about the limit, the relative limitations of a life just focused on the next meal or because that's all, their conditioning is just geared toward that. So initially, what people need is they need we need support so there's a little time in life so we can be reflective. It's like we're stepping back and going, how is this working for me? You know, working hard to get the meal, working hard to keep the enemies away, working hard, and then you die. And then just seeing that is there just I mean either that will lead to despair, you know, such a nihilism or it will lead to a, a very profound, authentic question. Is there another way? Is there another way to relate to this experience, this human existence? Is there anybody who knows anything about another way? You know, we really look around, we ask around. And if we're lucky, we bump up against some wise teachings, like the teachings from the Buddha, who said, yeah, I had that same predicament, and I found another way. You know, instead of just digging into more sense experiences, I found another way. So check it out. See if it works for you. And so we do need a little bit of space to do that kind of reflection. You know, it wouldn't, if we're around a lot of people who are overwhelmed, it's not necessarily the time to talk about Dharma. It's the time to sort of create some shelters, create some safety, to feed the people, to teach them a craft so they can earn a living. You know, and then, then when people are feeling the ordinary satisfaction of enough food, enough safety, then when they're naturally reflective to say, hey, you know, you realize that life is impermanent, that as nice as it is now, it could change. You know, somebody with bigger guns could come around and take everything we've got. And then we're sort of, so what do we do in this relative security to create an immunity to the fact that things change, that things are impermanent. What can we do so that the happiness and the release of the heart isn't dependent on conditions which we know are not permanent, that are uncertain? Other thoughts come to mind? Yeah. I don't know your name? Ken. Um, there was a few points of how our ignorance leads us 
question I have is, um, are there times where I want to believe, or yes, let's believe, that we are capable of comforting our own neighbors through such anger issues going to be a lot of times for what I But are there times where we're just so eager or something that it's part of the that you just want to worry about it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the Buddha said something like, you know, suffering, that state of being caught in anger, let's say, and really identified with it and suffering because of it, that that suffering is either going to lead to more suffering, meaning the pain of the, the anger itself is going to cause the mind to be more identified, more confused by experience, more caught in that pattern. Or the suffering is going to be an alarm clock that wakes us up. Why, does, why is life hurting so much? Why is this experience so unsatisfying? What is being missed? Is there another way? So he says suffering either leads to more suffering or leads to search. And uh, that, so in a sense, we figure it out on our own, but that search, you know, then we're looking for somebody who knows something that we're not yet seeing. So in the, it's interesting, you know, in Buddhist cosmology, I, I like this part of the cosmology or myth or whatever you want to, however you might want to refer to it. But it's exactly when the world of human beings or living beings is completely blind. That is the cause for a Buddha, somebody who discovers this other way or rediscovers really the other way because they're not the first. It's been lost and rediscovered and lost and rediscovered according to the cosmology for a long, long time, unfathomable amount of time. And the cause for a Buddha, somebody who sees to arise, is the fact that nobody's seen. And then, but somebody does have to see that there's another way, that we can use the mind to turn inward, use the mind to let go of attachment, and that leads to a resonant happiness, uh, freedom, as opposed to trying to get happiness through sense experience. And then uh, it's, it's unlikely for a human being to discover that on their own, but clearly they do, because that's why they're a Buddha. And in the tradition, there are two types. There are Buddhas who do it and are really good at teaching it, you know, so they can articulate it in a way where other people then can follow in their footsteps. And that's why we have the footsteps, you know, on our sign, it's our emblem here at Common Ground, because in the Buddhist tradition, this is the idea that somebody had this insight without any help. He had to do it on his own, without any pointers from sort of the spiritual traditions of the time. I mean, there was some wisdom, of course, at the time, but this idea of going beyond the sense of self, that was sort of a unique discovery at the time. And then we're all the recipients of these teachings that came out of his insight until nobody remembers what the Buddha said. And then, then we'll be blind for a while until another human being or another living being arises and understands how to be free in the midst of this changing life, changing and permanent existence. So I guess it's kind of both. I mean, we kind of get it on our own, but part of the reason we can get it is just in the zeitgeist. These ideas are kind of available, especially these days. And uh, when we do look, you know, we bu most of us have bumped 
even before we started practicing, we bumped up against these teachings in one fashion or another. And it's really the ripple effect from the previous generation of people who had these insights. You know, so we're still the beneficiary. We're not completely, we're not living in a culture that's completely blind to the Dharma, the teachings of freedom. We have to leave it here. It's nine o'clock. We'll just take a few seconds and let go of the word. Maybe take our breath or two together. Just appreciate the silent stillness. And also appreciating the wisdom that is available that we've already integrated and that's available in the world, the wise people, the wise teachings inspired to develop wisdom and compassion, to develop great skill, to be a cause of peace and happiness in our hearts and in the world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.